Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, then please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I will personally be taking your managers through a driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. These sessions are live and virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, or outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. We are well into the first part of 2021, and people are starting to figure out ways to move from working virtually back to going to the office. And as you might imagine, that's going to be something that's going to be very tricky. You have to balance what the scientists say. You have to balance what the customers say. you got to balance what the organization says. Bottom line is, it's going to take a lot of work and negotiation to make it successful. Fortunately, I have the ideal guest for you today. Susan Bork is a professional negotiator. We've had her on the show before. She is an expert at helping people achieve a win-win. The beauty of that is that this is exactly what we're going to be depending on for us to be able to get back to work the right way. Susan's going to give us a little rundown on how basic negotiation works, and then we're going to talk about what it's going to look like as we start to merge everything back to the physical office. This is important because as an employee or as a manager or as an owner, everybody's going to have a different perspective and a different comfort level with going back to the office. That will take negotiation. Lots of practical tips on this one, and please stay till the very end. Because trust me, you are going to need Susan's help to do this properly. So let's quit talking about her. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. The plane is about ready to push back. So let's make sure that your personal items under the seat in front of you. Buckle that seatbelt. It's time for us to take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Susan Bork, welcome back to our show. I am so glad to be here. Hey, I'm glad we could have you back. It's been about a year and a half. We talked about that a minute ago. It seems like time has flown. But time has also changed, and there's a lot of new things that have gone on since our last conversation. And so today we want to spend some time talking about what things are going to look like as we re-enter the workforce, particularly as people go into it with lots of concerns. So before we get to those questions, Susan, as a refresher for the old listeners and as a welcome for the new, please tell us about yourself, your journey, what you're doing now, and then we'll dive into our questions. Well, what I like to say that I'm doing now is I help you ask for what you want and get what you need with less anxiety and more success. So when people wow. negotiate more effectively, everything runs more smoothly. Their bottom lines benefit. And even within organizations, the communication channels are much more, are clearer and everybody's spending time on getting things done rather than 
holding back or, you know, trying to reserve resources or things like that. So it's a much more um, effective way to move forward in an organization. So in your practice, Susan, tell us what you do and where you're located at. Well, I'm in Washington, D.C., but these days that sort of doesn't matter, right? You can be anywhere thanks to the wonders of technology. And I think that's something that we're going to see continue going forward. People I know who used to be very geographically centric in their in their practices um, now find they have clients all over the country and even you know around the world. So I think that's one of the good things that's come out of out of the pandemic and out of you know getting more comfortable with Zoom. In terms of my practice, really there are sort of two big areas to it. One is that I love to go into organizations and train staff and help them become then more effective negotiators. And one of the things I've heard from, from some you know, potential clients is, oh, well, if you train my staff to be better negotiators, they're gonna want my, you know, they're gonna want more money. They're gonna negotiate their salaries. My point to that is, okay, so then send your HR department, right? Or you come yourself because then everybody's on the same wavelength. They all have the same information and you'll be going through the same process and it'll be a much more constructive one. You know, so negotiating somebody's salary shouldn't be an anxiety producing activity. It should be part of business. The second area is that sometimes people find themselves in situations where they feel like there's sort of only two options. They can either accept, you know, accept what's being given them or they can walk away. You know, they either say yes or no. That's a very binary situation and neither is a particularly attractive choice. So when that's the case, I can work with people as a consultant, you know, coming in as a negotiation consultant, and I can help you really look at the situation because generally um, in just about every situation, there really is more than just a yes or a no. There's option th two, three, four, <clears throat> excuse me. There are more options. You just, it's a question of looking at things, digging a little deeper, asking some questions, doing some research, just trying to get a different perspective on the situation to help you really create leverage where you didn't think you had any. So in those cases, it almost sounds like, you know, the analogy you gave me is that I don't want my people to get trained by Susan Bork because then they're going to want to negotiate their salary. And you say, well, I can train you too. It almost sounds like being able to negotiate is almost like a superpower. I think it is. I agree with you. It, it's one of those things that affects, it affects your, your, your confidence and your, your, your success in so many ways. I mean, you're going to be a more effective communicator and then you're going to be more effective in your work life. But the beauty of being a better negotiator is that it also helps you outside of work. And that's one of the things that when an organization brings me in to train people, this is the kind of training that also helps with employee engagement because people feel that they're spending time on, oh, work-related professional development, which can be positive or negative. But let's say, you know, yeah, it's positive. And then they're like, hey, and, you know, this isn't just benefiting me at work. This, they're not, you know, I can use these skills outside of work um, to, do, to do negotiations, whether they're for, you know, houses, cars, getting returns, different things like that, but also within the family, because we end up doing a lot of negotiating in our families. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it would be a real problem selling a, a special skill that could help you be, you know, more successful and happier. But do you think that every situation is open for negotiation or there's some that we really have the you know, the binary yes or no and no room for wiggling? I mean, I guess you can't really argue with a stop sign. 
So that would be one. But would you say that most things are negotiable? What percentage? Well, what I like to say is this. Anytime you're making a request of someone or somebody is making a request of you, that can give rise to a negotiation. So my other point is you don't have to negotiate every time. Right there. So think about if you have a three or four year old in the house or a teenager, right? Every request is a negotiation, uh, but you pick your battles. So I think you, you need to evaluate the situation to determine what's the most, you know, is there a perfectly acceptable? Yes. You know, is there, is there a justifiable no that will allow you to move forward faster Then maybe? Yeah. The binary is the best. For most things though, I think what happens is somebody comes along, Mac, and they say to you, so Mac, you know, I'd like you to work on this new project, right? And, and you're like, I'm swamped, you know, the, the, the interior, I'm swamped. I don't know, you know, how can I do this? I better, you know, I better say no. Cause if they want, you know, the answer, right? If you want an answer right away, the answer is gonna be no. If you want a yes, it takes longer. That's what I used to tell my in, internal clients. Okay. Um, but so, instead of saying yes or no, right? Oh, it's my boss. I have to say yes. Right. Whatever these binary responses to step back, to take a breath and be like, you know, tell me more about the project. When is it due? You know, I have all these, you know, I have these other things and you had mentioned that thing Y is a real priority. You know, would I be able to deliver thing Y later? Or is this project something that I can do after I finish thing Y? You know, is it possible that I could delegate another, you know, activity to so-and-so so that I can do this project because I'm really excited about it? You know, those kinds of things. So you can, to me, that's part of the negotiation. Okay. I guess I view negotiation as what you do at the used car dealership. This almost sounds like more of a conversation rather than a, I win only if you lose. That's true. And, and there's an interesting distinction that I think is very valuable when you're thinking about negotiating, which is between competitive and collaborative negotiators. So there's a certain style and people can adopt the style intentionally or unconsciously. So the car dealership stereotype is a very competitive negotiation. Generally, people feel that, that they're the, on, the, on the losing side, right? It's a win-lose and they kind of feel like they're on the losing side of it often. That's why there's so much anxiety associated with it. But I know that if a competitive negotiator goes into a car dealership, they're there to win, hmm. right? And whichever way it goes, the key to that is to understand that the person who's doing competitive negotiating is interested in knowing that they have gotten everything they can, all right? That they have left nothing on the table. So you, as on the other side of that, have to communicate to that need. You know, you have to be able to say, I've given you everything, you know, this is all I can do. And then at the same time, they, they're not as focused on the relationship. So if you're really invested in having good, you know, the relationship's really important to you and you face a competitive negotiator, you've got to change your mindset and really think about the fact that this isn't about this person not liking you. It's just that their relationship with you takes second place to their need to know that they have left nothing on the table. They've gotten, they have squeezed everything they can out of it. Okay. So there are people that, that would that be their default style? They are wired to be a competitive negotiator? Yeah. I think there are people who just default to that and they don't okay. even understand the distinction. 
you're the you're the smarter person when you know if you're able to be like oh and it's not that everybody's exclusively one or the other and sometimes when people get stressed in a negotiation they may become more competitive so sometimes you can model collaborative behavior and bring them in sometimes you can ask questions you know good open you know mac in hr right a good open ended question is going to get you so much information so sometimes it's just a question of of asking some of those. So what about the collaborative negotiation? It sounds like for you to be successful and competitive, do you have to leave your emotions at the door versus collaborative? Well, you can't you can't leave your emotions at the door. Let's mm -hmm. be clear. It just doesn't happen that way. What you have to understand is your emotions. And you have to be able to sort of the the phrase that Bruce Patton uses is go to the balcony. So something happens, you know, somebody says something that, that aggravates you or irritates you or surprises you, and you have all these emotions, so, you know, shock, anger, frustration, um, anxiety, it's a surprise, what do I do? You need to be able to say, okay, I'm feeling this now, that's fine. Now I need to think about what I'm gonna do about it. And when you can name, when you name how you're feeling, when you get in that habit, that's gonna help you move from reacting to responding and responding is when you engage your, your brain your rational mind and you're now looking at okay so what's the best thing to do in this situation and sometimes we do it in a split minute you know bear chasing me i better run okay mm -hmm. but if you take a minute and you know you know you're outdoors maybe if you i don't know do you live in bear country you live so far out well we got everything but bears yeah we've okay. got you got killer deer. Does that count? Armadillos? Yeah, yeah. No bears. But anyway, tell me about bears. Well, there's, and I can never keep it quite straight. But the difference is that if you if you meet a grizzly, okay, your response should be, I think, to curl up and be as small as possible, so small and still, which is not necessarily what you think you want to do. Mm -hmm. If you meet a, a black bear, you should run as far as possible, right? Because they're they're more interested in you, like being away from them. So, but a grizzly will see you as prey and will will go after you, which, or for your listeners who actually know the difference, it may be reversed. My point is, is that if you don't look at that bear, A, if you don't know better than I do, which behavior is the right response, and B, you don't bother looking at the bear to figure out whether you're dealing with a grizzly or a, or a brown bear, you're going to, you're going to make the wrong, you're going to react and it's going to get you killed. Okay. So it sounds like a ton of self-awareness is really key for this to be successful, right? Well, and isn't that true, right? Look at look at what you teach. Look at look at what makes, you know, a good boss and boss builders. Look mm -hmm. at that. What what it is is really you have to, you know, you have to put your own um oxygen mask on first. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. And and you do have to understand yourself. Um and then you really need to apply that and realize that the person you're dealing with, you're negotiating with they're a person too. Well, I'm now let's let's shift this a little bit now. And since you live in Washington D.C., uh, this you know you probably see politicians walking around the street when you go out there, you know, walk your dog or whatever. But so, would you say that if we could look at the two political parties now, we're dealing with somebody? So, I mean, negotiation at least is supposed to be happening. Is it more of the collaborative, from what you could see, the competitive? Um, I'm just kind of curious to get your take on it. Politics aside, you know, what side you're for, I'm looking at the dynamic because it seems like there's a lot of divisiveness. So I, where, I where would right. you see the root of it might come from? 
Well, I mean, the roots of it, there are, you know, analysts smarter than I am and more, more studied to talk about because it has, you know, historical antecedents as well as cultural. I think, I think that there has been, we seem to be more engaged in competitive styles of negotiating. I, I, and that's, I think what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have, I have hope because for example, there's an interesting program that was launched, uh, I think about a year ago, maybe, maybe 18 months at American university, which is sort of a certificate, um, or master's program in political negotiating. I mean, it's wow. really focused on trying to teach people who are in government and it can be state. It doesn't have to just be federal. I mean, it's people who are in government teaching them negotiation skills and what can, you know, to, to try and move the dial from reactive negotiations to, to collaborative negotiations, to problem solving. I mean, you know, there's the difference between do I make sure I don't leave anything on the table to am, are we solving this problem the most effectively? And if you take a page from the hostage negotiators, they'll tell you, you know, compromise. You, you just there are a lot of situations where you cannot really compromise. Right. If somebody if somebody if you're if you're like the, the question is, I want to wear the brown socks. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my my spouse wants me to wear the blue socks. So what's the compromise? I wear one brown sock and one blue sock. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just dopey. <laughs> so, you know, splitting the difference doesn't usually, it, 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 you end up with a lot of waste. So looking for ways to, to, you know, exchange value and create value, that's gonna end up with a much more optimal and, and a much more efficient use of resources. And isn't that really what we, what we want? What we want from our government, what we want in our, you know, relationships, what we want in the deals that we strike commercially, that that's what we want. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's when I look at now, because, you know, I've lived in both sides. I've lived up where you live for 14 years, where people are leaning one way politically. And then I live down here in the South where people tend to live another way politically. But it seems as though, from what I can see, every follower of whatever party seems like they're more wanting their representatives to be the competitive negotiator. Do you think that might be spurring on the lack of collaborative negotiation we might, might or might not see in the government? I think some elected officials are feeling that pressure. Mm -hmm. I think others are, are representative of that pressure. There, there's an anxiety that somehow agreeing is a sign of weakness. Right. And, and I don't quite know how we, we lost that, but somehow we've, we've changed our feelings about the, our political affiliations and made it more like our sports team choices. Mm -hmm. You know, you lived up in Washington and you know that the, you know, the Washington football team versus the Dallas football team, right? Oh boy. It's a rivalry. Yeah. It's a real rivalry. Well, you know, yeah, in football, there is a winner and a loser, but that doesn't help us in, in politics and in policy. Mm -hmm. So I think I think that something's gotten lost. I agree with you. And I read an interesting article recently about somebody, um, in, you know, an influencer, um, a political, the Washingtonian magazine, which you're familiar with, mm -hmm. was looking at who are the big influencers, you know, as the new administration comes in. And one of them is somebody who's really arguing that we need more than two parties mm -hmm. because there isn't a place for people who are economically conservative, um, but perhaps socially liberal to, to see their policy 
interests represented. There isn't a place for people who feel, you know, strongly about progressive, um, you know, values to see their political, you know, and policy interests represented. And, you know, this is something worth considering because if there were more than one party, you know, we could have some of the chaos of the European system, but also we could have people who actually have to form coalitions and make, you know, find ways to where they agree to be effective yeah yeah the parliamentary model always seemed to me like at least everybody would have a voice someplace where i'd say only a few people really have a voice in our system and it seems like the loudest voice is the one that gets what they want i don't know i don't know if it's the loudest voice or the one with the most money uh, well there's different ways of being loud true i, w I wish i was louder right now because yeah <laughs> Well, I know that these are some tough questions and probably not the topic that we're supposed to be talking about today, but I did want to do that from my own curiosity, but also because I want the listeners to realize that not everything is grand scale negotiation like a meeting, you know, in Congress. For a lot of us, the problems are smaller and yet big for us. And one of the big ones that I see coming very soon is the reentry back into the workplace. We went from, and it was a year ago this week, from everything normal to overnight, everything shut down. And it was like ripping off a bandit. It was painful and we're still feeling it. We still feel where the hairs were ripped out of our arm. But now we're starting to inch closer to what might mean us taking the first few steps back to what we used to have. I won't say back to normal because I don't even know if we remember normal anymore. But for the person who is being asked to go back to the office that feels uncomfortable about that, what should they be thinking about right now? Because this will be a battle that will be fought. I'm assuming now we're going to date this today is what, March the 11th, 2021. I would say that, you know, within some months, depending on where you live, people might be being, getting that call to come back to the office. How should we be handling that if we're not comfortable as an employee? I think... I think that's sort of, this goes back to, you know, what's the question that comes to mind this moment, which is how am I affected? I don't like this, you know, and, and, and how do I stop it? Because mm -hmm. I don't like it. <clears throat> what I think we, we need to do is kind of um, step back and managers are actually in often that unique position of both sides, right? Because they've got, you may as a manager have a visceral reaction and then there may be, you know, you're in a position where there's a, organization policy or, you know, that's happening that you need to figure out how to enforce. I, I think all of that really happens if that's where you are in a way it's too late or you, it, this whole thing has started in a, in a, in a less effective um, way. So what I mean by that is this, everybody needs to step back just like we did when things went remote, right? And, and most things went remote pretty suddenly. Mm -hmm. And so there we were, trying to build the car while it was rolling down the road at high speeds. And we sort of figured out how to do it. And the thing is running and we've gotten more comfortable with it, you know, and we're figuring out where the pieces are that weren't working and we have to fix them. And we did that. Going back to the office though, we have the opportunity to, to think about this without, we don't have to rush. And I think the smart organizations realize this. And what they also realize is that there is no there is no going back. We've got to go forward and we've got to see what going forward looks like. And we have to see what it looks like really individually 
in terms of within the organization, in terms of different industries, I mean, things are going to look different. What works in the restaurant industry or is even necessary is not necessarily what's going to be appropriate or effective for an accounting firm. All right. So you, and, and the, you're looking at sort of three populations in a way, depending on the size of the organization, but you have, you have the employees, Mm -hmm. you have sort of managers, first line supervisors through, you know, middle to senior managers. And then you have the C-suite, you know, and who, who, and the board of directors. Mm -hmm. So the, the elements that are going to be important in this is thinking, trying to put yourself on both, you know, in, into both parties, um, shoes and thinking about what's important to them. So you need to know what's important to you. We talked about self-knowledge and negotiations, right? So you need to know what's important to you. Why, you know, where, what about going back to, you know, where are my concerns? It's not like I, you know, so, oh, I feel anxious about being around other people who aren't vaccinated. Maybe that, you know, I got to articulate where my concerns are, because then if everybody's vaccinated, or at least if I'm vaccinated, I may be less anxious. Why am I anxious about that? Because I have elderly parents I'm taking care of, whether they live with me or I'm, you know, constantly there back doing whatever or other relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I have children. I have somebody in my household who has a health issue. There, there are reasons. Um, I have a health issue. You know, th- so what, what's going on with me? And I need to be clear and be able to articulate that. It's different than just saying, I don't want to go back to the office. The other thing may be, you know, I used to commute three hours a day you know, an hour and a half each way. Mm-hmm. And boy, I feel so much more productive not having to make that commute. On the other hand, I miss seeing my team. I miss that human contact. You and I were talking earlier, you know, shaking someone's hand, mm-hmm. just even just seeing their face without a mask in real life, not on a screen. I, you know, as introverted as I am, I've heard people who are thorough introverts and they're like, you know, I'm actually missing people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, so maybe, so then you're starting to think, well, gee, you know, I'd like to go into the office a couple, a day or two a week. I really would like to see people, but if I'm going to go into the office, I want it to be productive. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? And managers, executives need to think about, okay, if we're bringing people in, what does that look like? Do we require vaccinations? What if people can't be vaccinated because of health issues? What if they won't be vaccinated for whatever reason. What, you know, how, how important is this? How do we make this? What are the legal, you know, corporations, businesses, organizations have to research that. They have to get advice. They also should be looking at what other people are doing. All right. What are, what are their peers doing geographically in the industry? A lot of organizations, trade and professional organizations are, are doing research and providing guidelines. And you can look at those and think, will this work for me here? It isn't, you know, it's not an antitrust issue to talk to a, you know, somebody else in your space about these things. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things you can't talk to them about, but why not, you know, look at what your competitors are doing, the people in your space doing Mm -hmm. what you do. It may be worth reaching out, you know, and talking about this. And you don't have to do what they're doing. But don't you want to know what they're doing and why? What's Mm -hmm. their rationale? What have they thought of that you weren't thinking of or you did think of and you're like, oh, no, I but I want this. I'm you know, this is I I want 
we've got an organization culture where people really feel good when they can see each other. You know, we, we miss our Friday afternoon, you know, get togethers. Mm -hmm. So how do we bring that back? And, and, you know, I also would urge managers and executives really the decision, you know, as they're formulating policies, ask people two reasons. One is if you actually ask your employees, if you authentically seriously want to hear what they have to say, First of all, they're going to feel included in the process, less mm -hmm. likely to resist, or at least understand that, you know, everybody's thinking about everything rather than just sort of one, you know, unidirectional, uni you know, going. Um, the second is that they may have some good ideas, you know, ideas that will really work. Mm -hmm. And and that can be helpful because then you're not, you as an executive or a manager aren't doing all the lifting by yourself, right? You hired these people because you think they're good. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like everybody, the three groups you've mentioned, so there's the employees, there's middle management, and there's the C-suite board of directors. It seems like they're going to approach this problem from a different perspective, but it sounds like everybody's got the same goal in mind, which is somehow moving forward in the time after COVID, right? Is Would that be a good place to start your negotiation from versus... I want this. No, well, well, we want this. How would you recommend that flow? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're, you're, it's almost like you, if you think about the, again, stereotypical labor union model of negotiations, right? Each side comes with their positions. Right. And, you know, and then they duke it out and they, you know, fight and who, you know, who wins? Again, a very competitive way of doing it. What, what you're talking about is looking below those positions and thinking about the interests. Why is somebody resisting going back to work? They feel unsafe, right? Why do we, you know, why doesn't business feel that people need to be at work? Well, they, they want them to feel that they're part of the culture and they're engaged, you know, they're engaged. Well, those aren't, those are like two different topics. They're not mm -hmm. exclusive. They're not competitive with each other. So then the question is, how do we, how do we bring, you know, how do we make an environment that people feel safe in, you know, so that we can get the productivity we need? And what, what, what are our, where do our people need, you know, where is it going to be, where are we going to get sort of this synergy and this energy of people seeing each other? And where can we capitalize on the fact that when people aren't commuting X hours a day each way, they can be more productive and get other things done? So where is this, you know, because at the end of the day, we're looking to succeed, right? We don't want the labor situ the the union situation where the union goes on strike and the business goes out of business like that's mm -hmm. just you know nobody wins yeah so understanding the the underlying interests is always a good place to start from with a negotiation you're absolutely right well i'm just it's funny to read i, I read probably i read the post usa today cnn google news i'm a news junkie i try to get it from all perspectives but the odd thing i'm starting to see is people who are sort of pining for the old days of the things that even they hated. I've read several articles of people saying they missed their commute. Now, I don't miss flying at all. I don't miss the lines. I don't miss the crowds. I don't miss my middle seat being full. I don't miss one damn thing about it. But it seems as though distance are making a lot of people miss the things they hated before. And all I can track that to is number one, even though we were miserable, it was predictable misery. But maybe what people are doing is they're seeing the good that they had. For example, in that hour and a half commute each way, 
They could knock out a couple podcasts. They could leave work at work and then come home and be home. And then on their way to work in the morning, they're leaving home at home and they're mentally gearing up for work. Maybe what this has done is help people realize the interests and maybe those are beginning to outweigh the positions. Now, this is from a non-negotiating person. So I don't know, I'm probably way off base on this, but I wanted to check with you because this seems weird to me. Well, I think, I think you're right that a couple of things are going on. Um, one is that the, you know, it, and it very much depends on the person, right? Because one person is like, hey, I can just take a walk at the end of the day and get back that, that break that you're talking about. So here's the issue. The interest is that somebody needs a break. Mm-hmm. And in the past, the way they got it was through the commute, but they found the driving stressful. So they got the break between work and home that they wanted, but it was a very stressful way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Taking a 30 minute walk, you know, it could be, could be for some people, a less stressful way of getting that break. You can still listen to a podcast, maybe not two or three, but you know, you're, you're out, you're, you know, moving, um, and generally, the research tells us that that's a more constructive way to spend your, your time. The challenge is actually being able to, to leave your desk, right? And, and that, that becomes a personal right responsibility as well as a, a, a corporate you know, understanding. And I think organizations that say no emails after 9 p.m., no, you know, those are things that can help support people in setting appropriate boundaries. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that... There are the old, you know, the old studies where they used to do efficiency, organizational efficiency. Like this was back in the beginning of the last century. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the, I cannot think of the, the consultant's name, but, but the, the book was, you know, um, he had a, like a dozen children. And it was all about, you know, he, he learned his efficiency skills in organizing, you know, having 12 kids and how they would do, you know, who did what. And, but what... What they found on on the assembly, you know, they would this was assembly lines. We want our workers to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. And what they found was like they did a study where they turned the lights up so it was brighter, mm. and productivity shot up. So like, oh, bright lights that makes the difference. Well, it shot up and then it kind of went down a little bit and leveled out. And maybe it leveled out a little more productive than before, not you know not at the height it had been after they changed light. And then somebody had the bright idea, they lowered the lights productivity shot up again. <laughs> and then it kind of went down and leveled out. The point is that what, what it was, wasn't how bright or dull the lights were. It was the change. People responded to the change mm-hmm. and they responded to the change in that context because they thought management was interested in them. Mm. Oh, they've brightened the lights so I can see better. Cool. You know, or the, it was so bright. They've made the lights a little dimmer. My eyes feel better. Yeah. So it's the change, right? So people are missing what they had because they're, they, they want a change, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, there was sort of the initial excitement. Oh, everything's more efficient now that I'm working from home. I'm online, whatever. And then we find Zoom fatigue kicks in. You know, So now after a year, it's not 100% more efficient. Mm-hmm. There are elements that are more efficient and things that really wear on us. So that's... Wow. Um, well, the, I think all of that suggest that people, no matter what happens, are going to go into the next phase with a lot more self-awareness if they've thought about it, but a lot more knowledge on what works. I can remember even when we lived in the DMV, there was always the controversy, should the federal government allow people to telework? And then the the anti-argument was like, no, a lot of these people are not even efficient when they're at the desk. Why would we let them have a day off? Or 
work from home. A lot of those myths have been dispelled. So it seems like a person could go in with a lot of hard data that we could have a sort of a hybrid, flexible arrangement, but it doesn't seem like any of that's going to happen without all three groups of individuals you mentioned being on the same page. That to me sounds highly unlikely unless they have the help of an expert to help align that. It seems to me, Susan, you are that person. And so what I'd like to wind our talk down with today is if you've been listening to this and you realize it's not going to be as simple as a memo saying we're going to be back in the office three days a week, like it or you can leave. Susan, how can a person reach out to you and bring you in virtually or physically to help them navigate? This is a game changer. This, I believe, done incorrectly is going to fry your business. However, I think if you had expertise to help you align it, you will blow away your competition. So if a person wanted to blow away the competition, Susan, how do they reach out to you? Well, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, as everybody else is, and that's certainly a perfectly good way to reach out to me. I also have a website, so it's my last name, B-O-R-K-E, work, and then works, W-O-R-K-S, workworks.com. So that's another way to reach me. Uh, you can email me. Um, info at workworks.com or Susan at workworks.com. So, you know, certainly you can, if you, if you look for me, you'll find me. Absolutely. And I'd love to help you because I think that, that the organization that even acknowledges they could use some help is the one that's going to be at the front of the pack, just like you say. Beautiful. Well, if you're listening to this today, let's not waste any more time because I've had my first shot Susan says she's ready with both arms when the time comes, which tells me that it won't be long before you're going to have to make these tough choices. Do not do this without having an expert. So please reach out to Susan. That's info at borkworks.com or anywhere on LinkedIn. Susan, thanks so much for spending a morning with us again. We've really enjoyed just catching up and this has been a lot of fun. So, uh, best of luck as you help companies emerge from this really weird period in history. Uh, to be better than we went into it with. Thanks, Mac. I always love talking with you because you have such good questions and uh, you really you really bring the issues to the table. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.